Welcome to the MIND podcast. MIND stands for Michigan's New Educators. This podcast is a place where new educators and their guests offer encouragement and insight into a profession understood by few, but talked about by many. So whether you are an educator, love an educator, want to be an educator, or just want to learn more about us, we're glad you're here. Each episode features early career educators and guests brought together by the Michigan Education Association. The MEA is here to help educators at all stages of their careers. That's the school bell, signaling it's time to start. All right, welcome back to uh, the MIND podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the importance of reflection, self-compassion, and addressing your emotional needs. And these ideas can be found in the book study that we just did for the book, from burnt out to fired up. So um, one of the things I think that Danielle and I were talking about before we started recording is the idea that teachers are always told reflect, reflect, reflect about your practice in the classroom. So that is not our topic for today. Danielle, do you want to sort of talk about what our topic for today is? Yeah. And it's actually reflecting on your own emotions. I think we also naturally, you know, leave, step out of that classroom and be like, oh, I should have handled that situation so differently with your student. But then sometimes you don't realize that you need to reflect internally as well and how you like how you're handling things. And so often, again, we taught we judge ourselves based on how we interact with others, but now how we're interacting with ourselves. And I think that these this portion of the book is fantastic in the sense that it forces you to start doing that and start being more internally reflective in how you can stop pouring from an empty cup. So I'll just say. Right. So and I think equally, so some of us just sort of naturally aren't good at engaging with our emotions or thinking about how we're feeling. We just sort of push those things aside and we'll definitely be talking about how to handle the emotions when we get those emotions. But even just thinking about having the time, we're so busy as teachers that it's really hard to take that time for our own personal needs in general and our own personal emotional needs. Because when we're thinking about school, most often we're probably thinking about what's our next lesson or what on my to-do list do I still have to do or whatever those things are. But also, I don't think that we're always really good to each other about mm -hmm. creating that space for people to share emotions. I was just thinking about a couple of fortunately very rare incidents where there was a medical emergency of some kind in my building dealing with a student and we addressed it in the moment, but then we never spoke about it again. We never, I remember after one incident, walking into the staff bathroom and shaking and the principal never came to find out if I was okay, you know, never, never sort of checked in to make sure that I was comfortable with what had happened or or how I was feeling about that. And so I just took a moment and was able to just sort of be shaky and, you know, take some deep breaths. But it really, if you think about it, that's really not a good way to operate because then I just sort of like shook it off and went back to teaching. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I'm looking at, speaking of that, there there's something she says in her book. She says, if we don't intentionally draw out drown out the figurative noise in our lives and get quiet. It's difficult to get to the root of what our feelings are trying to tell us about ourselves in our internal state. And I think so often 
as an educator, our classroom, that's what it is. It's just like, go, go, go. It's always thinking about the next thing or dealing with other people's issues going on within your classroom. And you don't literally, you don't make the time to get quiet, you know, and just think and reflect. And she suggests things like, you know, waking up five minutes earlier in the day, just to kind of take that time or to go for a walk. And that was something that one of my, me and my coworkers had done. We started walking for 15 minutes at lunch and it was nice because it was an opportunity for us as two people that trusted each other, respected each other, knew that we needed to vent or whatever it was, it was a safe space and we could get it out and then we'd go have lunch and then we were ready to power through the rest of our day. And I've talked about her before, but again, without her, I don't think I would have survived teaching as long as I had. So um, I think we need to be reflective about putting that time aside, even if it's just five minutes to quiet everything that's going on around you. Right. And the, the other thing I was thinking of too, is when you are not only a teacher, but also a mom and you are rushing through your day with all of these students, and then you rush home and deal with your own children. I think sometimes we need to think about, do we need five minutes in our classroom at the end of the day with the lights off so nobody comes in to talk to Mm -hmm. us or bother Mm -hmm. us? Or or five minutes sitting in the garage in your car or in in the parking space with your car or whatever so that you can reset before, reset emotionally before you go and work with your kids. I remember my son saying, I don't know how teachers teach students all day and then go home and have their kids be the same age. And in a lot of ways, that is the most challenging time, I think. Well, I remember when I first started teaching, one of um, my coworkers had said to me that they had always heard that teachers make the worst parents. And I remember I was terrified to become a parent because, you know, they said they give so much to their class and then they go back home and their patience is at like at a zero. And those are the kids they can kind of just like, you know, unload on. And I'm not saying that's true, that that's true, but she just, you know, was making that broad statement. So I was always so fearful that when that time would come, like, would I be enough for my own kids? And, um, but then I, you know, there are those teachers that were great at being reflective and they knew where to draw a line in the sand. Like she knew when four o'clock happened, like, no, this is, I'm done. I'm not staying any longer. This is my family time. My kid has a soccer game. I'm out the door, you know? So I just wanted, you know, I, I knew that it's possible, but what it was always just one of my biggest fears. And I mean, I don't know, Annette, you were in the classroom and I know you had your own struggles. You were a rock star single mom doing it all. I mean, what are, Well, for me, when the kids, because I taught high school, you know, that, that that's only a short time that they're all the same age. That's true. students were the same age as my kids and kids in the classroom are, I got, first of all, I got lucky. My kids didn't have those, you know, my daughter and I didn't fight like you traditionally say that you fight with your mom when it's a girl Mm -hmm. and my son and I didn't either. We were really close. And I think in some ways, maybe being a single mom helped that because it was the three of us against the world all the time. So they didn't pull the kind of traditional high school angst that you pull. And my high school kids were just different. You know, they right. they just, the kinds of stuff, you know, the kinds of stuff that, that go on for most kids, and this isn't true for all kids, but for most kids is kind of, you know, not that big of a deal. They think mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Right. And so you can 
you know, you can kind of separate yourself from that. There were, of course, kids who really, you know, their situation was very stressful, was very difficult. I, of course, had kids who had real problems, right? not just that the boy you like doesn't like you back or whatever, but significant problems. Mm-hmm. And I felt secure in the fact that my kids, when they were that age, could give me some insight as to how to handle what's going on in the classroom. And you don't have that when they're in elementary school. Right. So yeah. I think for me, it was a little bit different. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I poured so much of myself into my classroom, but I didn't have kids. And I mean, when I say that it was like the full blown, like thought out lessons where I decorated my classroom to fit the unit that I was teaching. And, um, again, in having a conversation with another teacher, she's like, you know, that's like, that is amazing uh, creating all the memories. She's like, but I want to make those memories for my kids at home as well. And and I know I can do it in different ways now in my classroom, you know, and you get creative and you evolve and you figure it out and you can make it memorable still. Um, And I think one of the strategies that she talks about is you have to name them to tame them. And she's talking about your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so she has this moment where you're just reflecting on your feelings where, you know, maybe it's at lunch or you're on your walk and you have to ask yourself, what are the emotions I'm feeling right now? where do I feel it in my body? Because, you know, some people are on their shoulders or head, wherever tingling in their fingers. Um, and then what do I need to do right now? Mm-hmm. So that's something I never did. Right. And I, even as a mom now thinking, I'm like, I should probably do that. Right. You know, but, but you can, like, <laughs> you life yeah, <laughs> you take that first step and you're thinking about naming your emotions sometimes that's difficult in our culture where we're encouraged not to be emotional or there's this stereotype that women are too emotional so to say that i am angry or that i am sad or whatever sometimes people refuse to do that or are afraid to do that because they think that people will think less of them Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of making sure that you create that group of people who are able to hear those things without judgment and to really be able to support you. And women tend, I mean, they feel, everybody feels emotions, but we sometimes won't admit it. And we do the opposite of what we need to do by just keep pushing through and pushing through rather than dealing with, with the issue. And when you were talking about feeling it in your shoulders or feeling it in your back or whatever, that's what it does. When mm-hmm. we don't deal with what's happening to us and around us, and we don't address the stress and figure out how to control that stress, there's always going to be stress in life, but mm-hmm. figuring out how to control that, it can have a permanent negative impact on your health and on your body. And you can't let that happen. Well, and I think about how easy the strategy would be to implement as a classroom practice. Like in the beginning of the year, you know, I'm with any grade level and saying, okay, we have a strategy we're going to do called name them to tame them. You know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, first thing I need you to do is just sit, figure out, take, I need five minutes. I need to name them to tame them. You know what I mean? And then, you know, that students like internalizing, but then you have the right to do it too. I need five minutes to name them to tame them. All right. So everyone work for five minutes while I take this time for myself. And I'm like, that's an easy strategy to model and implement and become just protocol in your classroom you know, and it'd be beneficial for all. Um, Because again, we so often expect our students to do things, but then we don't end up doing it ourselves and for ourselves. Right. You know, and when it comes to students, we are, we have been pushed, not we, not teachers so much, but the standards have been pushing academics so hard 
that, that those kinds of strategies and those kinds of skills that used to be developed in elementary school with a lot of time mm-hmm. are pushed to the side and are sort of a secondary thing. You know, we've got a come out of the womb reading, of course, but, you know, we have to do all of these other things related to literacy and, and numbers and things, these other things in, in kindergarten in particular, and then where those skills were developed or, you know, honed at least, because we all know that, the, that not every kid is getting those, that guidance from home, because sometimes parents don't even have that skill set. So right. if we, if we're not, creating those social emotional opportunities for our kids can you imagine sitting I can't imagine I mean I I know what happens when a kid is can't name that he's angry or name that he's sad and then acts out right because we haven't given them the tools necessary to tame them Mm -hmm. absolutely and the thing with taming them I think is you've got to figure out what works for you Mm mm-hmm you know, she's got all these strategies at the end about ways that you can be reflective and ways that you can, you know, sort of check in with yourself and kind of recalibrate where you are in the world and how you're feeling and what you can do about it. But it's not all, but everybody has to find their own that kind of works for you. You know, people talk about mindfulness and stuff. And um, I've tried it in my classroom and the kids, you know, you get mixed reactions because that doesn't always work for everybody. I mean, some form of mindfulness works, but like the breathing and stuff like that might not work for everybody or, right. or journaling or whatever it is that you're doing. Like mm-hmm. maybe I didn't have 15 minutes at lunch to walk mm-hmm. because if I did that, then I wouldn't get home in time to take my kid to soccer. So you've right. got to figure out what's going to work for you. Right. Absolutely. Well, and talking, she talks about the three, um, three secrets to self-compassion, which is the developing mindful awareness, which I think we kind of talked about mm-hmm. showing kindness to self and then identifying with our common humanity. And the last one, when I was reading it myself, that one really stuck with me because, so I had, everyone has their trauma, right? And I had my own experience of trauma when I was younger and I was, growing up and as I went through things, I would always compare my trauma to other people's trauma, you know, in the sense that, well, mine's worse than theirs. I don't understand why they are acting the way that they're acting, but to them and in that passage, she talks about just because it might seem lesser than it felt the same to them. You can't tell them that they should feel any lesser than how you're feeling. And she basically explains, you know, how you're comparing um your feelings of sorts and your experiences and your pain level and I think that's something we so often do um well I have seven heavy hitters in my classroom this year my class is way worse than your class I'm way more stressed out than you are and I think we have to be mindful of those things because we do those so naturally like I I did it for the longest time and I remember my mom had that conversation with me before I read this book and saying, but Danielle, your trauma, your pain is the exact same to her, even though you think it's lesser or whatever. And that I started having to think like that and completely change my mindset. Cause even with work with my husband, I do the same thing. I'm like, my job's way harder than your job. <laughs> right. And I remember you know? a, friend, a friend telling me one time that 
if everybody could put their problems into a bucket and stir them around, most people would pick the problems that they already had. They would want mm -hmm. those problems rather than other problems. And so we all we all have our own burdens to share. And I and you're right, it does not do us any good to compare. We're a highly competitive society, though. So yeah. it's really natural for us to compare one to another. My life sucks more than your life. Right. <laughs> right. But it doesn't. It doesn't, it often, when you're, especially if you're belittling, if it feels like you're belittling somebody else's experiences, it feels, you're never going to get empathy. How are you going to get empathy? Mm -hmm. Like you just shut me down. If you say your problems are worse than my problems. Yeah. You've potentially shut me down from being able to even help you through yours emotionally, mm -hmm. not solve them, but, you know, just say, yeah, that is challenging. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I'm, I'm just like being, so I'm thinking about how often I have done that to my husband and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awful. But for him, like his workday stressed him out and I just knocked him down, you know, and I was just like, mm, no, sorry, your day was not nearly as stressful as mine. I mean, granted I'm pregnant now, so I can tell him that my day has been worse than his day <laughs> for a couple more days, but still, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I feel bad. And she says, she's like, we need to lean into our common humanity and accept our imperfections and stop measuring suffering. And right. I'm like, that's so true. I just feel, I feel, it makes you feel bad. I'm like, oh, crap. but again, maybe but, I need a note to, to like reflect on that often. <laughs> but I think it's important because you bring up something that's incredible. We'll address what you were doing in a second. But what's more important to me is the fact that you're acknowledging that now that I know better, I can do better. I have to send him a text right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you had a bad day. My day was not worse. <laughs> right. But I also think there should be, in a relationship, there should be the space for both of you to have your own bad days and be able mm -hmm. to share those bad days with the other person. It is super hard if you're both going through some really rough stuff at the same time and it's not the yeah. same rough stuff. I remember a pair of friends of mine. One was going through a divorce and the other one was having health issues with her child. And they ended up not being able to be friends long-term because both of them were grieving and both of them were struggling in different ways at the same time with giant life issues. Right. So the ability to kind of work through that and still be empathetic is challenging. It's hard to be empathetic when you're struggling too. It's yeah. hard to have a friend who is constantly venting about something mm -hmm. when you would like a chance to vent as well, or mm -hmm. you're struggling with your own stuff and you don't really need to vent, but having them pile on to your own stuff. That's one of the reasons I think teaching is so challenging when you're close to your students, you take on, it's like your kids, you take mm -hmm. on their difficulties too. Right. So when your student doesn't get into the school that they wanted to get into or doesn't make the basketball team or their parents are getting a divorce or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you're hearing it and you love those kids and you care about those kids, but then you take on that burden yourself. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It makes me think of um, one time in the classroom, I remember I had gotten the call that one of my students was being removed from her home um, that afternoon. And um, they're like, do you want to have that conversation with her? And I'm like, she's nine years old. You know, how do I tell her she's not going home and that some stranger is picking her up to drop her off at another stranger's house today, mm -hmm. you know? And then I was supposed to teach a math lesson 
right. five minutes later. Right. And, and even if you could, out. yeah, and even if you could teach that math lesson, how's she going to learn math? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it should, <laughs> I mean, that was one of those days that I needed to go home, take a bath and drink a really big bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole bottle. Whole I gotcha. bottle. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is hard and, but I love that name it and tame it kind of concept that, you know, cause sometimes well, we know as teachers, especially with the elementary school age kids and, you know, maybe middle and high school too, that often their behavior, probably most of the time, their behavior is a symptom of something else. Mm -hmm. You really have to sort of dig down and figure out what that is. And if we're not even self-aware enough to be able to recognize it in ourselves, yeah, then we're not really going to be able to help other people. It's really mm -hmm. important that we become self-aware, that we become social, emotionally grounded. And I'm not suggesting by any stretch that you're going to have only great days moving forward and that you're going to be Susie positivity from here mm -hmm. on out. That's unrealistic. But when you're having a time that you're not Susie positivity, what's going on and what could you change so that things are better? I read a really great book one time called um, Lost Connections by Johan Hari. And it's very well researched and it's all about depression and anxiety. And one of the things he talks about is the idea that there are different reasons that people are depressed or anxious. And sometimes those reasons are legitimate things like my refrigerator isn't working and I can't afford a new one kind of real things. Mm -hmm. They may be temporary in nature and it'll you'll figure it out and it will pass but it's a real thing. And until right. that real thing is resolved, you're not going to be better. Mm -hmm. You're not going to feel better. Right. And then there are other, you know, more, there's, you know, there's all kinds of reasons for that kind of stuff, but it's important to try to figure out what is causing us to have the emotion that, that we're feeling. Yep. Well, and I, as you mentioned, she talks about a ton of strategies. Well, there's like six or seven different strategies that you can implement to help with this. And one of them, um, after I read the chapter, I actually started implementing oh, daily-ish, daily-ish, mm -hmm. but it has made me more cognizant of just the good things going on. So it's the three things I'm grateful for. And I, you know, when something cool happens or good happens in the day, and even if it's just a really shitty day, you're like, oh, I could afford to get gas today. I'm going to I'm going to find something that, but lately I've been able to find three really good things that have been happening. And so when they happen, like I kind of like put a flag up and when I sit down for bed, lay down for bed, I have a notebook next to my bed and I write down my three things I'm grateful for. And that's just such an easy practice. And I have an alert in my phone at, that goes off at eight Oh five that says, what are you grateful for? So I just know to kind of log it. Mm -hmm. Um, now granted, do I do it every night? No, because life has been chaotic and crazy. But when I don't, I can actually just sit there and be like, okay, what are my three things, you know? And okay. that is something since I've read this book that I've made, I've actively tried to do. So I, I read something similar uh, somewhere else to this idea of gratitude. And this woman was talking about how she um, had a miscarriage, a very late miscarriage for a child that she really, really, really wanted. Not that people, mm -hmm. you know, who are pregnant don't want their kids, but right. you know, she was, it came out of the blue. There was no indication before it happened. And, um, that's what she did when she, you know, because you could easily fall into a black hole of 
distress and depression as a result of something sure. that traumatic. Mm -hmm. But then she started to think, I have a husband who's taking care of me physically right now. I have two other kids who are great, you know, whatever it is. And those are big things. So I know that you were talking about, you know, some of the big things, but I really liked the example of I can afford to get gas today, which is harder and harder to do, by the way. But mm -hmm. the idea of picking little things, mm -hmm. like I had just had this big conversation with somebody about um, like, when is it appropriate to put up decorations for the next holiday? you put them up wherever it's going to bring you joy. And if it's oh. joy that I have that thing done and I can just sit at the end of the day and look at my, you know, my Valentine's day decorations in January or whatever, then that's okay. If I go to the Seven Eleven and the Coke Slurpee machine is working, that's a great day. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be giant. Speaking of your Christmas decorations, well, decorations, I saw a thing on Facebook that said, just so you know, the turkey tastes the same if the tree is up. <laughs> and so, and then, and then the other one was, um, some people really hate Christmas music, but I haven't seen them make Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving's Day meet music yet. So until then I'll be listening. So I just thought it was funny because I get, you know, that I'm one of those people that like to get ahead of the season. I like to enjoy it as long as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And it makes me happy. Right. And that's the, if that's the simple things that in my own home, I put up a Christmas tree in November, then I put up a Christmas tree in November. Right. So it is what it is, right? It absolutely is. And I think that's one of the lessons that we need to take home is that when we're giving and giving and giving to other people, some, you're never going to, you're never going to be able to do everything that needs to be done for all of your students and for your, for teaching and all of that. Like there is always more to do. Mm -hmm. at some point you have to draw the line in the sand and say this is enough this is good yeah. enough and I have to figure out what I can do next you know I used to have these grandiose ideas about how many novels we'd cover how many poems we would read and all of this stuff and at some point it's too late you have to stop yeah and then you move on and next year you can you can do things a little bit differently you can but you could constantly do more and more and more mm -hmm. but what's that going to get you at the end yep Teaching is a beast that will keep on eating if you keep on feeding it. Exactly. Right. I feel like I've said that in so many, so many things, but it's such a true, it's so true. Mm -hmm. And every time I say it, I just reflect back to my first few years of teaching where I had nothing left to give. And it was always left in that classroom until 730 every single day at night. So. Right. Absolutely. And you also have to think about what things that you're spending your time on in your school day are bringing you joy. Mm -hmm. I sound like Marie Kondo, but what's bringing you joy versus unnecessary and there's, there's unnecessary stress because all jobs have, have things that seem stupid that you have to do and, and time killers and all of that. There's some stuff that you have to do and maybe you just do it. I, I can remember talking to people who are student teaching and taking classes at the same time, Michigan State students. Mm -hmm. And I would say to them, you just have to do what's good enough for your college classes and spend your time doing the stuff that is going to make you a better teacher. Right. Yep, absolutely. Well, I think that that's a great place for us to close out on the self-reflection and just thinking about how we can continue to invest in ourselves so that we can invest into our classrooms. Um, 
And as always, we thank you for listening to us. And we hope there is another book study coming up whenever this is released. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So feel free to join or hop on and be a part of the book study. Right. Or read it on your own. Yeah. It's, it really does have a lot of great ideas. And as Danielle said, you know, some of the stuff isn't going to appeal to you. You might not be able to stomach some of the stuff because some stuff is super, you know, some stuff you may say, oh, that's too cutesy. I, I can't possibly do that. Or I know yeah. I won't be able to consistently, you know, that's the other thing that I think is really important for us to do is to give ourselves some grace. So, yeah. you know, you don't say, well, I'm going to run a marathon next week and have never trained for it. So don't think you're going to take this book and you're going to do every single thing she tries and you're going to mm-hmm. then be down on yourself when you don't, quote unquote, succeed on it. This is not a marathon. This mm-hmm. is legitimately just a way for you to think about how you can put yourself first sometimes because we are notorious for not doing that. And that is a problem. Yep. And here's a way to start. Here's a way to start and really start by just forgiving yourself for not being perfect and just saying nobody is. Yep. And that's the problem when we live in this society where everybody Pinterests and TikToks and Facebooks face fake, you know, picture perfect stuff instead of the reality Mm -hmm. so go enjoy your reality take some time to reflect and we will see you we'll we'll be seeing you on the next podcast not seeing you but seeing you right you'll be listening to us and we'll be imagining you listening to us there we go perfect (laughs) but feel free to join us on mine and when we start to post these podcasts absolutely we would love feedback we would love to see to hear about what things are working for you or your successes and your struggles because we are here to help so like us on facebook instagram twitter we're just we're mine michigan new educators bye everyone